Welcome to the Whistleblower Newsroom. I'm Christina Borgeson. Recently, the U.S. fled Afghanistan, leaving the Taliban in charge and many American servicemen and women furious and perplexed about why they were sent there to put their lives on the line in the first place. History has the answers, and my guest today knows that history. Lawyer and author Charlotte Dennett lays it out in her book, The Crash of Flight 3804, which details her investigation into the mysterious life and death of her father, Daniel Dennett, America's first master spy in the Middle East, while also taking a deep dive into the history of Western intervention in the Middle East, known as, quote, the great game, unquote. Then it reveals that at the heart of it all is the big bloody business of oil, attended by brutal barons, dictators, spies, and terrorists who work and fight together in a murderous, obscenely profitable ecosystem that most recently has left American taxpayers and troops bereft and Afghanistan in the hands of a fundamentalist group originally funded by the U.S. to protect a pipeline route. Welcome, Charlotte. Thank you. So let's let's start in the, with the deep history. And the first context that um, you talked about in your chapter that starts dealing with Afghanistan, uh, you talked about how uh, fundamentalists are used to pacify opponents for conquests. So talk about the use, talk about the history of that a little bit, and then talk about how that's been used in the Middle East. Yeah, well, first of all, uh, I discovered the role of fundamentalists when uh, my husband, Jerry Colby, and I were investigating the genocide of indigenous people in Latin America. Um, and we discovered that there were uh, American fundamentalists uh, called the Wycliffe Bible translators in the U.S. and the Summer Institute of Linguistics in South America. And their job was effectively to uh, pacify the indigenous people so they would make room for big oil and ranch and ag to move in on their lands, to get them to be pro-America. So that's when, when we learned that using uh, fundamentalists is a... Uh, a crucial part of empire building, really, of conquest. So when we started uh, getting into the Middle East, um, actually the person who uh, set me off on this investigation in, in Afghanistan was Eleanor Smeal, uh, who I had known in Vermont. She was the president of the National Organization for Women. And uh, at a 2000 conference, uh, on feminism, uh, she ran into me and she said, hey, Charlotte, uh, you've been following what's going on in Afghanistan? And at that moment, I really hadn't been. Uh, and she said, it's all about oil and fundamentalism. So that got me very curious. And um, what year was that? What year was that? That was two. That was two thousand, and around that very time, uh, fortunately, a book had come out by Ahmed Rashid, who was a Pakistani journalist, and I think he was one of the first to cover what the hell was going on in Afghanistan with regard to this group that called itself the Taliban. A lot of people had never heard of it before, and so he investigated, and what it really came down to 
uh, is he eventually discovered, <clears throat> um, I think he went into a meeting with Afghan government officials and out came these individuals with briefcases dressed in Western attire. That's when he began to realize there might be an oil connection or a business connection. And then he investigated further and he found out that this group, the Taliban, had been courted by oil companies. And the reason, particularly one, an American one called Unicall, and they had even been, believe this or not, they had even been hosted in Texas, wined and dined. Why? Because their role was to protect uh, a pipeline that was going to run from Turkmenistan through Afghanistan, uh, Pakistan, and India. And so its, its name is TAPI, the TAPI pipeline. And what it was intended to do is to carry uh, oil and gas from the Caspian Sea. Mind you, um, you know, our, our friends Bush and Cheney um, are, uh, were heavily, uh, well, let's, let's say Cheney, beginning with, with Halliburton, um, which is a supply company for oil companies. He was scouting around the Caspian Sea as early as the 1990s because People were looking at the Caspian Sea as the next great Middle East. It had a lot of energy in that, and, and the whole problem was it was landlocked. And so how do you transport the oil? That, that's a big issue um, in many of these cases. And, and what I came to learn is that uh, pipelines are crucial to getting the oil to market. And people don't pay much attention to it, but if you can't get the oil to market, it's just sitting there, you know, it's not doing any good. And, and then I learned actually by investigating my father's death that um, there can often be a lot of intrigue around where the route is, what country it goes through, who controls it and who protects it. So the original idea was the Taliban, which had actually been, funded by Pakistan. A lot of them were refugees along the border between Pakistan and Afghanistan. Um, <clears throat> they became uh, known as valiant warriors and the only group, ethnic groups supposedly, um, that could protect the pipeline route. So that was the plan. Then it changed. Do you want to tell, you want me to tell you why it changed? Yes, yes. <laughs> Why okay. <laughs> it changed uh, after 9-11. It changed after 9-11. The, uh, the relations had begun to sour right before 9-11. And uh, some of it was over what, what they were going to get in transit fees. This is, this is a big motivating factor for the Taliban, what kind of transit fees are they going to accrue from this? And then after 9-11, the U.S. Um, posed conditions on them and said, look, we'll move forward on this deal as long as you turn over Osama bin Laden, because Osama bin Laden had been in Afghanistan, and the whole U.S. narrative was that 9-11 happened because he was the planner of 9-11. So they said, we will um, work with you, but you got to turn him over. Uh, and the Taliban 
um, said, well, give us the proof that he was involved. And the proof was never forthcoming. So instead, what happened is uh, Bush sent our troops into Afghanistan. Now, wait a and second. And this time. Wait a second. Yeah. This is something I, 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 I've discussed this before, but this is something that I find very interesting because they were in business with the Taliban. OK, the oil companies, 9-11 happens. And, you know, there are lots of questions around 9-11, obviously, but they say they blame it on Osama bin Laden. And so they so they say to the Taliban, deliver Osama to us. And they say, fine, just send us the proof. Right now. Why was the proof not sent? Well, we know that the FBI never identified Osama bin Laden as the perpetrator of 9-11. And so that raises the whole question of how much was he really involved? And, and he has, uh, de- he had, I should say, denied involvement. Yes, he did. He I mean, it's hard. Yeah, so it, it's hard. I mean, when you're dealing with what I call the great game for oil, um, secrecy, lies, intrigue, they're all involved. So it's always kind of difficult to, to extract the facts from yeah, but, all the... Uh, but Charlotte, Charlotte, the reason why I'm asking you, I mean, why would they pick Osama bin Laden as the bad guy? I find it very interesting because, first of all, the Bush family had been doing business with the bin Ladens. I mean, they were doing business with the bin Ladens through the Carlisle group. I mean, Bush had interest in the Carlisle group. Cheney had interest in the Carlisle group. Uh, they, you know, they'd done business with the bin Ladens before in Texas. So why is Osama picked to be the boogeyman? Well, first of all, um, because he uh, helped form Al Qaeda and Bush and Cheney had decided that they were going to be the uh, perpetrators of 9-11. I mean, they had it all. Yeah, but he formed uh, Al-Qaeda partially as a CIA asset. He funded Al-Qaeda to get rid of uh, the Russians, to to, to harass the Russians in Afghanistan. So Absolutely. You You have to go back. You have to go back. If you really want to understand what's going on in Afghanistan, you got to understand what was going on during the uh, Soviet uh, occupation, so-called, uh, of Afghanistan, and 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 the role of the U.S. in funding Mujahideen to uh, force the Soviets out of Afghanistan and create, you know, their their Vietnam. And the person behind that was Mr. Brzezinski who was Carter's national security advisor, but was also an extremely close um, friend and advisor with David Rockefeller and co-founder of the Trilateral Commission. So to understand that whole history, you really have to go back even farther. That's the value of history. But I think what happened is, you know, uh, Osama bin Laden was blamed uh, for some bombings in Africa. He, he was made to be the bad guy. 
conveniently at a certain point of time. And so when it came to, to uh, uh, the Bush administration's wanting to invade Afghanistan, uh, they, they picked the, the guy that uh, had some notoriety as the, as the terrorist leader of Al-Qaeda, despite the fact that earlier he had a relationship uh, with the CIA. And, and by the way, that is another theme that I found out, that um, <clears throat> when you look at a conflict, uh, let's, let's pick uh, Iraq and Syria, you know, the rise of ISIS, okay? So this is this new terrorist group and uh, it, it, it is formed in um, eastern Syria, and, and then it operates in uh, Iraq and Syria. There is a lot of evidence that it was created by the CIA as a pretext to send troops in there. And, and this is a phenomenon that happens time and again. You know, look, at, this is the war on terror, folks. This, this whole thing post 9-11 is uh, the U.S. is going to uh, create a, a new Middle East. And one way of doing it is the war on terror. We know what happened after 9-11 when Bush said, you know, anyone who harbors terrorists, they're, they're, they're going to be targeted. And so there you have it, the, the endless wars that, that have plagued our country and taken our, the well, lives of our the soldiers. The United States has harbored terrorists. Is it going to, you know, wage a war on itself? I mean, and, and you know, I mean, uh, all these terrorists who came in and uh, were the CIA had strong armed uh, these these consulates into giving these uh, ter terrorist visas. Uh, Michael Springman called it the the visas for terrorist program. Uh, they show up here in the United States uh, and and they make sure that the FBI doesn't get that information. So, uh, I mean, the United States could just as easily uh, put itself on that list of, of countries to to attack. You know, I mean, it, the whole thing there's, is there's, it's so absurd. It's just absurd. There's a, there's a lot of hypocrisy involved. But but and, it, it all makes sense, though, I have to say it makes sense on the business level. Because. Yeah. A lot of business has been created for Halliburton, you know, for the arms industry, for a lot of, and, and these same people, uh, you know, the oil barons and so on, they, they're making, they're making money off of uh, the war, the war machine, it seems like. I don't, I don't know, yeah. but, you know, when these, when these kids come home and they say, what, what the hell was I doing over there? What what do you say to them, Charlotte? What do you tell them? What would you say if you were to give them a, a lecture on why they went over there and put their lives on the line? They were sent on a lie. And the thing is that, um, well, they were you know, sent, the war they were sent on a lie for sure. But but what was the real reason if if George if George Bush and Cheney and, you know, all the people who pushed to send them into war uh, were told to stand up and say, OK, we're going to tell you the truth now. Here's the truth. What would come out of their mouths? 
what would they say? Well, they know between themselves that what it's really all about is the United States trying to extend its power over the Middle East and Central Asia and South Asia. I mean, it's a big power move. And, and to do that, uh, they have to um, create pretexts. Okay, and we know that the lie about Iraq and the weapons of mass destruction, which got exposed, uh, but the war in Afghanistan was supposed to be the good war because we were um, getting revenge uh, against Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden, who brought us 9-11. And of course, that issue is still being investigated. Um, there, there's a book um, coming that came out by Roy McGinnis called Unanswered Questions, in which he he, he goes through the ordeals of the 9-11 uh, families when they're trying to figure out what the hell is going on. And I mean, that's serious. You know, they lost their loved ones in the collapse of the towers and so on. So it's very serious. They want the answers and they aren't getting them. And oftentimes you find that there is the sin of omission going on as well as lies, blatant lies. So this is just a big power play. And what I reveal in my book is that um, oftentimes uh, a central factor is pipelines. For instance, um, I was just reading recently, the, ta the, the Taliban are counting on this TAPI pipeline to go through because they're going to get transit fees. And so they want it to happen. And um, but but the troops that went in there, they weren't told about pipelines. They weren't told about the oil and gas riches of the Caspian Sea. They weren't told about the great game for oil. So this is what it's really all about. And military, I found this weren't the military installations there in Afghanistan mostly yeah, yeah. placed alongside yeah. the prospective pipeline route yes yes that was that's true unfortunately i'm on vacation and i don't have my files i would have shown you the map that's in my book that shows the route of the tappy pipeline and along it are all the major military uh installations that the that the u.s put in um most of them going along that pipeline route. And a lot of them were Canadian, by the way, that were sent to uh, protect it. And I was able to talk to a Canadian economist who used to work for the World Bank and BP. And um, he, he blew the whistle, John Foster. What? He, uh, BP is British Petroleum. It's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, right. He, uh, he blew the whistle. He, he saw that um, Canadian troops are being sent in there to protect this pipeline. And he, then he, he found out, he quoted from a, a State Department official who said that the real reason we're in Afghanistan is, quote, or a major reason, I should say, that we're in Afghanistan is, quote, unquote, so the energy can flow south. So, um, that, that's really what it's about. It's so sad. And you ask about the military. Uh, the, the, the protection of the pipeline is, is key. And so all the military contractors are happy to, to send in, you know, all sorts of uh, military equipment to these host governments to um, 
secure the pipeline. And the reason I found the military, it was important to protect the pipeline is because when I originally uh, started investigating the death of my father, that was all about the Trans-Arabian pipeline, uh, which was conceived during the uh, early 1940s, during World War II, when the U.S. got, after the U.S. had gotten a major holding uh, in, Sa in Saudi Arabia. And uh, his job for the uh, Office of Strategic Services, later the Central Intelligence Group, which were both precursors to the CIA, his job was to determine what the root of the pipeline was. And according to a declassified document that I got from suing the CIA, um, his role was, quote unquote, uh, to protect the oil of Saudi Arabia at all costs. And that also meant protecting the pipeline. So I think his job was to make Lebanon. He wanted it in Lebanon. Other people wanted it in Palestine, then Palestine. And uh, his job was to protect that route and win hearts and minds all over Lebanon. But the difference then was that he was, a, he was an Islamic scholar. He spoke the language. He knew the history. He knew the culture. His cover was cultural attache. So he was able to achieve that because he knew how to work the networks. And at that time, the United States was very much looked up to by peoples in that region. They, they thought, oh, the Americans have not come to conquer us like the French and the British did. They're only here to uh, help us and spread democracy. And that's what my father naively really wanted to do. That's, that's what he, he felt he could serve his government and help these people. Uh, and anyway, he, he died in a plane crash, which is a whole other story. But this is how I found out, this is how I developed pipeline consciousness by looking at the Trans-Arabian pipeline. People should just Google it and look at it, and you'll see all the incredible intrigues around that pipeline. The British were furious that the U.S. had gotten this uh, exclusive concession in Saudi Arabia, and so were the French. They'd been left out, you know, so our enemies were actually our allies during that time. Well, and it is still going on. It, it, it's it, our enemies are still our allies, it seems like. And, you know, it's very interesting yeah. because now you're saying, OK, so the Taliban is now. By the way, what is the state of that pipeline? Is the pipeline being built there across Afghanistan? The, is it under construction? The pipeline, the pipeline has been built through Turkmenistan. It hasn't been built in Afghanistan because they can't do it. There's too much unrest. And there is no bank that's going to finance that pipeline unless there is stability. It was supposed to be the Asian Development Bank. Uh, but uh, now that the Taliban have taken over, uh, we know that, um, that the uh, International Monetary Fund ha it has, has frozen all, all money to them. And uh, let me see, who else was it? We, so we don't know exactly if the International Development Bank, whose major funders are Japan and the U.S., are going to proceed. Um, the World Bank was the other one. They both frozen funds. I mean, the U.S. has gotten itself in, a, in an incredible mess, frankly. And the Russians and the Chinese are moving in big time. That's what and I was going to say. The Taliban... Yeah, well, 
they'll they'll be funded by the Chinese. They'll they'll get their yeah yeah the, right. That's right. And the thing, is, yeah, that's right. And the thing is, they're not sending in military. You know, I, I found an analysis where uh, it, what is the difference between what the U.S. does and what the Russians and the Chinese do? And the U.S. sends in the troops. And troops do not win over hearts and minds. Occupying troops that, that kill civilians. And just now using. Yeah. 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 I mean, and we're asking why this whole thing collapsed. I mean, it's ridiculous. The, the level of self delusion, um, I guess, by the people at the top that for them to think that they were going to succeed by occupying this country, bombing its civilians, uh, corrupting the local government, horrendous corruption going on from, from the U.S., who poured in all this money supposedly to help uh, Afghanistan to rebuild and do nation building, but a lot of the money went into uh, uh, officials' pockets. So the people... Yeah, including, wh- I would why- say, I would imagine U.S. officials' pockets, too. Oh, absolutely. It it goes both ways. It goes both ways. I mean, the military contractors, they made out like bandits, and apparently they've got these giant mansions uh, around uh, Washington, D.C. And even, I would say, even the New York Times, uh, a member of their editorial board came out and said that uh, uh, we we funded, we, we corrupted the whole system. And we paid off the warlords. And uh, so, you know, we got, we, we got ourselves into this mess. And now the, 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 the shame of the, the withdrawal and the tragedy of the withdrawal and, and, and how sad it is for these troops to have been um, sent in there to fight and die uh, because they thought they were avenging 9-11. I hope the whole story comes out. I think it's been coming out in, in bits and pieces. Um, you've certainly helped play a role in that, Christina. And um, I don't know whether there will be a final reckoning. I hope there will be. It's just well, tragic. I, I see that uh, Rumsfeld has died peacefully in his bed, but I'm hoping others will not because, uh, <laughs> you know, as everybody's getting older and, uh, you know, time is a-wasting, but... Um, Anyway, let's go back to this. I'm very interested in in figuring out. So do you think the Taliban is going to settle down in terms of, okay, now we're in charge of this? First of all, do you think the fighting is going to go on? Given your historical perspective, uh, if the U.S. is out now, uh, the Chinese and the Russians will come in. Would it be and or and or the Russians? Um, and the pipeline will be done, do you think? Do you think I, it'll get done? Where as, long, for, as long as there's conflict, the pipeline will not be built because nobody will finance it. So it's in their interest, U.S. interest, but also Russian and Chinese, Chinese interests that uh, this pipeline be built. Will they collaborate over this? I don't know. Um, uh, but I mean, it's, it's, hear, it's not going to happen. 
you hear intelligence and, and military pundits on television all the time yammering about how we got to go back in there and secure this and that and the other, I, as if, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, the definition of insanity, of course, is doing the same thing over and over again and getting the same yes. and expecting a different result, you know. Well, but, there may be an incident. There may be an incident that's just so horrific. <laughs> that the U.S. has decided it'll have to send troops back in there. I mean, I can't, I, to see the U.S. leave with its tail between its legs, oh, my God. I, I think the whole world is is partly laughing and partly aghast. I mean, everyone's saying that we are witnessing the decline of the American empire. And by the way, there are, most Americans still don't understand that we've got an empire with 800 military bases around the world. We can't sustain them all. And that's one thing Biden knows. Biden sees China as the main enemy right now. And by the way, China is doing mighty good work uh, in uh, spreading its economic development throughout the world. It started, the idea was the new Silk Road, which was a project the U.S. had launched that wanted to connect um, Asia with Central Asia. And pipelines would be a major factor, but there would, there would also be road building and uh, development of, uh, you know, energy plants of various types. And it didn't happen. So... Um, then the Chinese moved in, and um, let's see, what is it called? The road, and anyway, it's the road and something development. I for, I forget momentarily what they're calling it, but it's it's the same thing. The the um, the new Silk Road, and and they're extending. They've got so many countries sort of joining in, and the whole idea again is they aren't bringing the military. They're bringing economic assistance and loans, and different countries are saying, I'm in. So this is what the U.S. is, fa is fa facing, um, a huge challenge. And, and so Biden, obviously, um, listening to the same sort of people, I would, I would call them trilateralists, uh, neoliberal faction that has in the past been fairly sophisticated in understanding the world because it's its major leaders or the Rockefellers during the 20th century. So anyway, that's that's it. The empires well, who are in the decline. leaders now. Who are the leaders now? Well uh behind behind Biden? Yeah. You're asking me? Yeah, yeah I, I think they're the same people. I think it's, you know, the Council on Foreign Relations, which uh, is very powerful, and that was initially uh, set up by uh, John D. Rockefeller. And you see, the, my husband and I wrote a book on the Rockefellers. It's this book on Latin America, Thy Will Be Done, The oh, Conquest okay. of the Amazon, Nelson Rockefeller, and Evangelism in the Age of Oil. Some people have called it anatomy of conquest, because once you, once you go to the top, once you go to the highest levels on top of the mountain and look down, the view is extraordinary. So these are players that are hidden. They're very powerful and they work their networks. And so they're still, they're still playing their games for sure. Uh, Trump, Trump 
uh, is part of uh, American society that hates the Eastern elites. And I mean, he was able to rile up all this anger against the Eastern elites out in the South and the West. He knew it. And of course, he, he felt that they'd shunned him as well. So it was like a perfect match. So now he's gone, although he's still, you know, working his own networks. He's working the sidelines for sure. Oh, that's for sure. But but the big boys, the, the real ones that um, are, you know, went went to uh, Europe and said, oh, America's back. Well, it means they are back. Okay, so so Biden is Biden is listening to them. Um, so where were you asked? I think I lost the thread well, somewhere. The thing, you know, let's talk about Biden for a minute, because I just find it interesting how more and more it's becoming uh, clear, more and more clear that the people who do become president of the United States are already kind of made people uh, in the sense, you know, in the mafia sense, because here Biden, um, it's clear, clear, just like it was clear the Clintons were doing pay for play with the with, you know, in the Middle East. It's clear that Biden was doing pay for play with China and with, uh, you know, um, uh, what's the uh, with um, Ukraine in the Ukraine, you know, through his son. I mean, the problem Biden had was that, you know, he had his drug addled son. Uh, he was open and kicking down the door so his tr- drug addled son could make the, you know, make the deals and so on. I mean, all this is documented. It's it's not only documented. I mean, there's video of of uh, Hunter Biden saying, you know, yeah, I make gazillions of dollars and then I pay my all my father's bills, you know. And um, so I wasn't aware of that. So, oh, yeah. Anyway. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He was talking to some. I mean, it's just and and yet. So uh, I guess I'm trying to figure out. It's like our it's like we're a banana republic. We're a very wealthy banana republic because our leaders are beholden to, you know, uh, bigger business powers, you know. Absolutely. First of all, go ahead. If you want to if you want to be president, you got to go to Wall Street and get their blessing. Otherwise, you're not going to become president. That's the rule in this country. We found that out uh, by again, uh, studying the Rockefeller family, Nelson and David in particular, who, by the way, were the main progenitors of the World Trade Center, which is what most people forget about. I mean, even the New Yorkers call the Twin Towers David and Nelson. So, you know, wow. you got to put that in the mix, too. Uh, but at what any is, rate, what, no, is, we, what is your take on 9-11? Oh, I'm not going there right now. I mean, um, why not? Yeah, that. Oh my God, it is so third. All right, all right, all right. What is my take on nine eleven? Well, part of it, first of all, I, I, um, the evidence of the of the explosions that has come out in the towers, which. there's ample evidence and it comes from the um whoops 
It comes from the fire, the firemen, the the first responders. Oh, it, comes, it comes from various sources. Yes. The, the yeah. The, all right. And, and and the tapes. And and what I found very interesting in the the book Unanswered Questions is the families are trying to get copies of uh, these videos uh, uh, or or tapes, recordings, release, and they wouldn't do it. And one of the family members particularly wanted it because she, her last conversation with her husband was he was saying, there, I'm hearing explosions. So what accounts for the explosions, frankly? And um, I know our uh, architects and engineers have, have done a study. I think that there is, uh, there's, there is credible evidence that those towers were brought down uh, by controlled demolition. And I mean, when you look at it, hello. Yeah, so well, the architects. But what, what, how does that fit into, um, or does it fit into, or is it a separate incident to the great game? Well, you know, everybody's talking about the Bush, the Bush administration uh, needing a, a new Pearl Harbor to do what what they yeah, wanted that was to part do. Of the project of a new American century in this um, in this paper called "Rebuilding American Defense: America's Defense." I mean, the, yeah, you got to look at Bush. You got to look at Bush as a wannabe. Uh, he was not on the highest level, and he aspired uh, to be president and to be powerful. And also, I see him as representing the minor league in oil. I mean, he even admitted, yeah, he had an oil company, but it was small. True. And so once uh, they, they were scheming, Bush and Cheney were scheming about how they were going to get into the Middle East before Bush even became powerful, before he became president. Well, I would say the so, father and Cheney, maybe, and they put the cyan... This is a, a dynastic thing. I think they put the sign, the son there as president. He would be the front guy because, you know, Americans could look at the, a lot of Americans looked at him and said, hey, I could have a beer with this guy. So he was friendly and this and that. I mean, that's and but behind the scenes, first of all, his cabinet was a lot of his father's, you know, people. You know, oh, I, his cabinet I, I was a lot of oil, oil people oil and people. energy people. Yeah, oil and energy. They had it all, they had it all set up. They were going to go in, you see, because when when you look at uh, oil exploration in different countries, um, <clears throat> the uh, the the people that get there first are often minor companies, and so they they do all the exploring and they do the expense of exploring, and then when they find some good size reserves the big boys come in i have a quote in my book about that yeah, this is how it works catters. yeah unical uh unical was bought up by chevron right chevron that's right yeah so, so yeah there you go there's a perfect and, example and, that, and that chevron is the former standard oil of california rockefeller owned that got the huge concession in saudi arabia so anyway, how it works in the so-called developing world is that the people who end up ultimately controlling the oil tend to be the majors, like Chevron, you know, British Petroleum, Shell, uh, 
Exxon, Texaco, Exxon. So they're the ones that ultimately make up. Why? Because they have they have the expertise and they have the the money to to do the extensive drilling that that's required. So you got people like the people, the independents. They are based largely in Texas and in, and in California, uh, or the southern part of the country. These are independents that want in, have always wanted in. One way they were getting in was the development of uh, shale oil and fracking, and this is what um, this is what Trump turned to for financing him. So they were using Trump to get in and and get in on the game. And they got in on the game. Uh, They were getting in on the game in Ukraine. And um, well, that was a major place they wanted to do. What they were succeeding in doing is is cutting deals with um, some of the former Soviet republics to transport their natural gas so these are to those countries gas, these are natural gas people who yeah. funded trump oh yeah big time oh i've got a God. i've got a oh yeah i got my i if you google my name and counterpunch you'll find uh i i wrote several articles about that um wow he, oh yeah he's totally be totally beholden to these guys Oh wow! So so there is so there's that subterranean uh, challenge that so that is going all on. All our presidents, all our presidents, are made people who are being beholden to somebody. I mean, I know, for example, that Obama's uh, cabinet was made up uh, was picked basically by Citigroup by a Citigroup executive, you know. And so when the bank and it's interesting because these crises happen that accrue to the funders. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it, it's uh, like like the banking crisis occurred under Obama. OK, and what happened? Yeah. All the banks were too big to fail. And uh, so they made all the money from from all their malfeasance. And then they got more money from from bailouts. OK, and, and before that, it was Bush, you know, and 9-11. And all those people made money off of off of the war and all those policies. So so all these disasters happen and each president is in charge of, you know, shoveling the money or the resources or whatever to I I mean, I'm I'm saying this as I'm speaking to you. It's I've just seen the pattern all of a sudden and it's it's horrible. It's all interconnected. It's all interconnected. And, I mean, and we, the people, are the last to know, except there are a few brave journalists out there that are trying to figure it all out. And, and well, it's, it's which is now it's thing. clear. It's hard. It's very clear. The pattern is very clear. Whoever pays your bills, you do what you need to do to create money for your sector, you know, and and uh, I, I mean, right now, Biden is is uh, again, here's. Here's a guy who the evidence is like right in your face and and he's he's still presidenting, you know. And meanwhile, we've got these. I mean, I have to tell you, uh, full disclosure, my son served in Afghanistan. He, you know, he was an officer in the Marine Corps 
and and the trauma that these guys have suffered is is terrible it's it's really really terrible and and the way that they left was even more traumatic to them it really was i know it was horrific and and um when I was writing my book, uh, I discovered a interview with uh, two men who were uh, vets. One of them was um, veterans for America, and the other one was vote vets. And a uh, vote vets was more like liberal, and the uh, vets for America, I think it's called, was was more conservative. And they were sitting in the back room, waiting to go on to be interviewed. And they started talking and they started to say, what were we in there for? This doesn't make any sense. And, and they came out and said that they made a, not a deal, but they agreed that from here on in, you're going to send troops over there. A, you've got to have a new authorization for the use of military force. You've got to have Congress uh, allowing it before it happens. And the bottom line is our troops need to know what they're really fighting for, because when when they were sent into Afghanistan and they were sent to Iraq, nine times out of 10, they would see images of the towers. You know, you're going in there to avenge this terrible oh, yeah. terrorist oh, yeah. attack. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, very painful for them. It's I, trust me. It's really bad. That's why we've got all these suicides going on every day, like clockwork, every day, suicide, 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 suicides. And nobody is held accountable. It's really terrible. Anyway, that, the accountability part is really annoying. I, <laughs> annoying. I, oh, my God. You and I know that. Well, I, that's exactly what I wanted to talk to you about is you actually wrote a book about prosecuting George Bush for Iraq. And I'm very, and I want you to talk about that. And I want you to talk about whether or not you could write the same book and just instead of putting Iraq, put Afghanistan, you know? Yeah, well, there is more and more truth coming out about Afghanistan, thank goodness. I mean, people that were over there and, and saw that um, this was not going according to the plan that they'd been given. Namely, the troops would go, go in, they would, they would fight the terrorists, get rid of the terrorists, and then they would bring uh, a nation building and bring their, their wonderful democratic values and all of this. Not, and, not, only and they that, found that not only that, but at the same time, you know, all these people, all these people were, um, you know, oh, we got to find Osama bin Laden. We got we we got to find him. And and that they, you know, they these these guys have talked about it. These guys who were supposed to be, we were so close, and then we were called off. We were close, and then oh, that he he somehow escaped. Oh, so close, and now and and meanwhile, of course, his death was being announced. You know, or his 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 death was announced several times. You know, in the course of all this. And actually, and, and I just read recently that one of the guys who was on the killing Obama, uh, killing Osama, excuse me, killing Osama bin Laden uh, raid uh, said, you know, he wasn't sure who they killed. 
Yeah, the guy they killed didn't match the picture. <laughs> that, yeah, the guy they killed didn't match the picture. So even even that, I mean, look at the resources and fanfare that went into this operation to kill this guy. And finally, somebody admits, well, this guy didn't look like the picture. And of course, they paraded um, Saddam Hussein's picture and that of his, you know, his bloody, his, you know, hung head and his bloody son's uh, pictures. But, oh, no, Osama bin Laden was treated with more respect. He was allegedly dropped. I mean, the whole thing, the disconnect and the, you know, the the strange, the bizarreness of it all uh, is, you know, makes it smell. Okay, it makes well, it smell. The, the, the whole idea about him being the capo di tutti capi of terrorists, right? He was the biggest big guy. And what you learn from people who are in Afghanistan is about, <clears throat> uh, I would say, just a few months after the U.S. was able to defeat the Taliban. Um, they weren't that interested. Uh, suddenly, Osama bin Laden disappeared from the radar screen. Oh, yeah, Bush himself said, "Oh, I'm not that concerned about him. I'm not that interested in it." Yeah, and and yeah. of course, then he was he was allowed to escape. And when I was watching all of this, I I kept thinking, "Well, yeah, they need Osama bin Laden at certain times to justify what they're doing." And um, so, and and of course, Obama with the uh, alleged killing of Osama bin Laden in, in Abbottabad, Pakistan. Uh, you know, that was supposed to be, ah, that's great. We got the main terrorists. Now we can uh, withdraw from Afghanistan. And of course that didn't happen. So the, during much of the time, I felt like Osama bin Laden was used as the pretext for why we still needed troops in Afghanistan. But of course, now we know they were there for different reasons that the American people weren't told. And one of them was to cement um, <clears throat> American influence uh, and extend it from Central Asia all the way to Asia. And the Tappy Pipeline was very key to that. And if anyone questions it, then look at what's going on now. All you got to do is Google it. Just Google it. So Tappy Pipeline and Taliban, they're, they're back in business. Well, do, do you think then that this withdrawal is not, you know, from, from the business perspective, from the real perspective, okay, this withdrawal is not a, a loss. It's just, okay, we're going to you know, there's some, some, some other pivot or something else that's going to happen. So, you know, let's get the troops out. I think it's a loss. I think it's a loss. It was certainly of American prestige. Absolutely. It's a loss. You know what they're most worried about? The loss of empire. That's what they're more worried about than anything. And uh, so this is one example. And well, Afghanistan let's remember... Go ahead. The graveyard of empires in the right. U.S. is just the latest, right? right. So um, it is a loss. No, it most definitely is a loss. Now, there is another factor that may be driving um, Biden, maybe. And that is, we all know, he lost his son in Iraq. 
And uh, what, what is often not told is that his son had brain cancer. And it has now been revealed that there are um, terrible uh, pits of, of oil and toxic chemicals yeah. uh, that have been burning during the Iraq war. And those have been linked to brain cancer. And he has acknowledged it. He knows that his son died of brain cancer because he was sent over to, wait a minute, was it Iraq or Iraq? I think he was sent to. And um, so I, I think there's a deep personal thing there too, that he probably understands the futility and, and uh, suffers. I think he suffers from knowing that all these young men and women gave their lives oh, well, for a futile. <laughs> Well, if that's what drove him but he said, troops out of Afghanistan, I have to say, you know, I mean, I don't want to wish tragedy on on personal tragedy on any president. But, you know, uh, if if that's what it takes for them to, you know, realize that uh, they're killing our our young men and women in, in the military for uh, the wrong reasons, uh, I don't know. You know, I mean, that's kind of galling that it takes it has to take a deep personal experience that somebody moves the, the you know, all the resources of the nation based on that. You know, I mean, the, the interests of everybody else, I, you know, who can say uh, it's all I hope, sickening. That's not, I hope that's not the case. I hope that, you know, he saw the light or something, but I don't know. He's such a well, such a, he saw it, the light. He saw the light because because people were were telling him the light. Some I, of them did. I, I want to talk I think, about. I, think, I want you to put on your lawyer's hat. I really want to know if anybody can be held responsible for war crimes in Afghanistan. Just like you wrote the yeah. book about about prosecuting George Bush, you ran on that platform for Attorney General of Vermont. Uh, you said that you would prosecute George Bush for the Iraq war, for, for sending people over there on, on false pretenses, which then amounts to murder of each and every uh, person who died over there. Can the same yeah. thing be said of, of Afghanistan? I think it could be, but I don't think it will be. <laughs> I mean, look, look where it went. I mean, um, you know, Vincent Pugliosi is the guy that uh, wrote famous, the book. Famous uh, prosecutor who prosecuted Charles Manson. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and and he started to investigate and try to figure out how he could hold the guy accountable. And one of the big issues is the statute of limitations, but there is none if there, if it's murder. Okay, there's no statute of limitations if you can prove murder. So he he did this fairly elaborate analysis of how it could be done. It could even be done on the state level. Now, uh, will it ever happen? Oh, it's sickening. I mean, I'm even, I don't know second. if it will ever happen. Book. You didn't write the book. Vince wrote the book on prosecuting George Bush. For murder. Oh, no, I wrote a book you on the book. Oh. Vin, Vince wrote um, the uh, the book on on George ho holding George Bush accountable for murder. Right. I hooked up with Vince afterwards, and because I was running for attorney general in Vermont at the time, and because his book said any attorney general can do it, you know, bring him bring him to account for murder. So I said, look, 
I'm willing to take up the challenge. I'm running. I'm not attorney general, but I'm running. Uh, the problem, and so um, I wrote a book called The People versus Bush. Bush yes. His book was yes. called The Prosecution of George W. Bush for Murder, which was a very daring thing to do. I remember talking to him and his wife thought, I don't think you should use that title. It's much too provocative. But he said, look, I, I'm sorry. That's that's what I'm going to do. So I followed up on it, explained the rationale in my book, The People versus Bush, right. and which described my whole campaign. And, and I, I sit here, it just galls me how these leaders are getting away with murder. They are. And they think they can be held. They cannot be held accountable. You're, you're a journalist and, and you know, I'm one too, but I, I'm more and more, I, I call myself an investigator and I'm just, you know, I, when I talk about something, like when I talk about Bush and, and, you know, we speak the way we do, I'm not talking about it, you know, because of some political left, right thing. I don't give a damn about left or right. I'm talking about the investigations that I have done and what I have seen. And, and so, you know, I, I no longer want to be diffident about, what I know and what I've seen, because I have been for a very long time. And and I really think I wonder as a journalist sometimes and I wonder if you think about this, when when does lying to the American people about something so critical as why we're going to war, when do, should that ever become a crime? Uh, yeah, it should be a crime, but you have to deal with the reality of uh, the power structure in this country. Uh, on the other hand, I'm trying to be hopeful that as we pull out of this horrific pandemic um, that has, has totally stripped the veneer off of the pretenses that we're this wonderful country with equality for all. You know, it's exposed the horrific poverty uh, in the world, including in the United States. It's exposed the racism. Uh, and that because of these revelations, uh, there will be enough thinking people who will come together and say, enough is enough. We've got to chart a new course. And there are a lot of people that are doing that now. And I, uh, they're trying to make connections that we've been divided. We haven't been divided. It's just that we weren't properly connected. All right. So there are a lot of us. There are a lot of us in this country um, who are on to uh, all the uh, the horrific inequalities in the healthcare the system and so the on. criminality that's what it is we're, we're gonna we're gonna have to leave it at that because we're at the end of our time but um wait let me just end on this let, let me just end on this in the renaissance i mean no no scrap that one the black death uh affected italy deeply in the 13th going into 14th century and what happened is, uh, and, and the word quarantine comes from quaranta, the, the term 40, 40 days, the ships ha couldn't unload because of the Black Death. So, and what came out of it? The Renaissance, 
this incredible new period is the rebirth of 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 creativity and secular thinking they were rejecting a lot of the religious pretenses their art reflected it and so there are people now um talking about this including me i want to remain hopeful that we can come out of this and and start creating a new world and hold the criminals accountable it's going to be a tough haul but i think it could happen